0: The following message was given to the North Young Adult Group at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. I want you to talk to the person next to you. What's been encouraging you lately? Conversations with friends? <laughs> A really nice piece of lasagna. Uh, What has been encouraging you? A walk in the fall and like it almost looks like the leaves are raining. What's been encouraging you lately? A good cup of coffee? Anyway, I'll stop. Go ahead. Talk to the person next to you. One of the things that increases our joy is Thanksgiving. So talking about the things that are encouraging us can do that. I have been blessed by conversations with friends and lasagna and walks in the fall One of the things that encourages me, which relates to tonight, is from time to time as a leader in the church, when I see different leaders leading people in the same direction, uh, that's just encouraging me. The spirit is out. It feels like, wait a second, the spirit's at work. So you perhaps know what that phrase is if you're familiar with Bethlehem. If not, let me explain it to you. This is actually a picture of our downtown campus. I don't know how many years ago this was. Uh, those are real people. I don't know who they are. But if you are in the downtown sanctuary and you're looking towards the uh, pulpit, you look up here on the wall, and that's where this is. Spreading a passion for the supremacy of God and all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. It's also in the North Sanctuary right over there on that wall. And Pastor Stephen is leading us through that. And as we gather together to hear the second message on worship... There's some connection there. What Andy Nacelli shared on Sunday about the supremacy of God and how we're meant to glorify him is very connected to worship. Well, some of you, a few of you, are helping with our students this weekend, and independent of Pastor Stephen and independent of the Young Adult Ministry, uh, our retreat is about worship, rejoicing in the Lord. And I get to share with you... From the theme verse for that retreat. And I'm thankful that I get to do that so that I have the bandwidth to both be with you and serve them. And if you were here last week, I was in the back corner and took a picture of Daniel. (laughs) It's dangerous. Uh, Phones these days, it's dangerous. Daniel started this series with teaching through what is worship. Um, And you can go. I believe Lexi put that up on wherever they're stored, and you can go and listen to it if you weren't here, but very helpful. Let me just review the definition. Worship is a response of thanksgiving, rejoicing, delighting, awe, wonder, praise, treasuring, prizing the reality of who God is and what he has done that is made public by verbal praise, obedience, and acts of love. So it's connection with who God is, and it's not just kept within us, it comes out. And kind of like what you talked about, what you enjoy, we do that all the time. If people hang around you enough, they'll know that you really like to work out, or you really like to go to this coffee shop, or you really like this music, because it comes out of you. You talk about it, it's like, oh, they're into X, or Y, or Z, or they're into math, or whatever. Um It's what they're into. It's what they talk about. It's what they like. It's made public, verbal praise, obedience, or love. We're going to specifically talk about the verbal praise part. And what Daniel asked me to do is to root it in the scriptures. So it's going to kind of be an overlap from that and and take us in some new directions. But it really is going to focus on what we talked about after the audio recording was cut off. Uh, And so thankfully I was here and got to hear some of the Q&A, and two questions that stuck out to me um, Among other things a lot of things stuck out in that Q&A, but two things that stuck out to me is Somebody asked are we commanded to worship? Should that be a part of our definition and another person said how do we worship when life is hard? And I very much resonated with that because we all go through seasons I've been in a season where it feels like it's uphill a lot, or that the waves keep coming. Are we supposed to worship in those times? And if we are, how are we supposed to do that? So that's kind of where we're headed. Um, I'd encourage you, we're going to be all over the book of Philippians, so if you have a Bible, or a phone, or connection to an app store with a phone, uh, you can grab some sort of something. That will get you into this book, the book of Philippians. I don't know if that's Philippi. It's just a nice Roman-type-looking picture. Um, But I want to give you a little bit of a reminder about Philippians as we get into it. Stir you up by way of reminder with this really neat book. Um, First is that it was written to the first church in Macedonia. So if you remember... Paul is like, can't go this way, can't go that way, can't go here, can't go there. What am I supposed to do? And then this man from Macedonia comes and gives him uh, a word. Come over and help us. And it's so amazing. The help us is we must go there and preach the gospel. They're not on the side of the road with a bad tire. Their boat isn't shipwrecked. He needs the gospel. So he goes to Macedonia. And where does he go first? To Philippi. Well, what happens there? He goes out to the place of prayer and meets Lydia. And she becomes a worshiper of the Lord because God opens up her heart. And then they have this entanglement with a spirit-filled servant and get thrown in prison. And what we're going to talk about today is beautifully illustrated at the formation of this church. So where we're going is rejoice in the Lord always. At the formation of this church, when they're thrown in prison, in the innermost cell probably in stocks, I think it even says it, you can look it up in Acts 16, they were praising the Lord and singing hymns in the night. And the people were like, listening in. Earthquake, released, get out of town, because anyway, it's a great story, Uh, great piece of history. Check it out. Written to the first church of Macedonia. Paul is in prison. So again, rejoice in the Lord always. This guy's in prison. And the Philippian church took care of him. They sent him this man named uh, Epaphroditus. Um, You can look up, I'm pretty sure that's the right spelling, but you can look it up. Maybe you want to consider that for your first child. I'm not sure, but um, I kind of like Epaphro a little bit. Um, Anyway, I was talking about that with our students, so sometimes I'm weird. Epaphroditus, and the deal was he came to serve Paul in prison and he got so sick he almost died. And this was before cell phones, believe it or not. Uh, There was a day before cell phones, and they couldn't send an email. They couldn't pick up the phone, a regular phone with those long, stretchy cords. They couldn't do anything. They had to send messages. And so at a certain point, the message got back our man, Epaphroditus, who we love very much, is ill and dying. And the church was on pins and needles and freaking out and waiting for the next message. And Paul wanted to send this letter back with the healed man, Epaphroditus, so that they would rejoice that the Lord brought him back to life and pass along some other really important information. So important information that Epaphras, Epaphroditus is okay and that he's okay even though he's in prison and some other important stuff and primarily This teaching, this encouragement, the strengthening of a church, which focuses on these two things. Paul is calling this church that he dearly loves towards their progress and joy in the faith. You cannot go very far in Philippians about 12 different times. It talks about rejoicing, according to one scholar. And I'm not sure if that also includes the places a few times where it talks about glorying in the Lord. Maybe, but it's all over the place. And then their progress and joy in the faith... This was a church that he loved. This was a church that was doing some really great stuff. And yet, he didn't want them to just sit back and coast. He wanted them to lean in throughout 6 verse 1, or 1 verse 6, and several other times. His prayer is that they would um, abound all the more. And his desire for them is that they would grow up and continue to pursue Christ, So before we even dive into the verse that we're going to look at, I just want to ask you, where do you need progress in the faith? Is that kind of your vision? Okay. Um, Maybe maybe I, I know who Christ is. I've been saved. I've been growing. He's changed me. Are you at a stagnant place? Do you feel like I'm there? Or do you feel like there's more here? Let me just say, there's more here. And where do you need joy? Where do you need joy specifically in the Lord? What's getting in the way of that? Or if you're here and you're like checking out this Christianity thing, that's awesome. We're so glad that you're here. Come find out more about Jesus. Faith in him, joy in him. Hopefully you'll get a little bit of a glimpse of that tonight. So where do you need those things? Um, scripture type is a website that does cool things with scriptures and makes cool things. They have a cool thing of this, but I didn't get their permission yet to use it. So anyway, I'll just tell you about them because here's the deal with Philippians 4.4. It's at the end of the letter. Um, we don't really write letters anymore. So, uh, but if you did write letters and maybe you do, uh, you're awesome. Maybe that's your thing and everybody knows it. I don't, but, um, if we write letters at the end, it's sort of like, oh man, I've got to say this and this and this and this and this. It just kind of goes... Brrr. That's kind of where we are in the end of Philippians. Philippians 4.4 4 is not connected grammatically to anything else. So it truly could be on Instagram, rejoice Lord always, again I say rejoice, period. And you're not like, I don't understand the but at the beginning of that. What is that connected to and what's the context and why does it say therefore at the beginning? It doesn't have any of that just simply says rejoice in the Lord always and again I will say rejoice. Ten words in English, seven words in Greek, it's all just right there. But it is an important context and I think if we look at some of the context it maybe gives us some help with the stress always which we'll get there in a second. But what I hope to do is open up what this verse means And then we'll look at the context. And the context is only like an appetizer. It's an appetizer to see where where do I need to go find the full meal deal? Where do I need to dig in a little bit more? I'm going to pray for us one more time and then we'll look at this scripture. God, it is good to be with this people, to be in your word. Thank you so much for the gift of this book and the chance to look at these things. Thank you that we could sing to you with the gathered people, that we could sing to the Lord a new song for many of us. Um, would you help, by your word, and by the gifts that you supply to us, to stir up more joy in Jesus? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at this word by word, phrase by phrase. It begins with rejoice. Now this sentence is gonna get longer. That's why it starts with a plural. I know a plural is not a really good sentence, but that's where it's starting. The sentence begins with a plural. So rejoice is a plural. A plural what? Well, we'll find out in a second, but it's a plural, it's to all believers in Philippi. It's not to selected people. It's not to those with very skilled vocal cords. It's not to people that kind of get excited about these spiritual things. Um, it's to all believers in Philippi at all times and all places. It expands out because it's written by an apostle to the church. It's to all people in all times and all places. Rejoice. It's also an ongoing command. Um, In the Greek, it's continuous. So it's kind of the difference between a treadmill versus a step. How many of you have ever been on a treadmill before? Eventually you get off, of course, but... The idea is that that is different than rejoice. God, done. Next. It's a rejoice in the Lord, and of course this says always. It doesn't say that in chapter 3, but, um, but it is. It's, it's an ongoing command. Oh, it's a command. Now I'm telling you that. It's a plural, ongoing command. But this is really important. When's the last time you thought about what it means to have a letter from Paul? you can actually find some really cool letters. You can find the letter from a Birmingham jail and read it and and be like, wow, that's a good letter. Or you could find other letters in history and say, wow, this is a letter from Paul. And he said in 1 Corinthians 14, 37, he's, he was talking about spiritual people who were maybe acting spiritual and rejecting him. And he said, if they reject me, they should be rejected because what I write to you is not a command of the guy named Paul. It's a command of the Lord. Just remember, God wrote this book through people, but this is His command. So it's a plural to a bunch of people in an ongoing sense, command of the Lord for internal joy to be expressed publicly. And this is stolen from Daniel's definition. That is made public by verbal praise. And it's made public in other ways too, but specifically here. It's publicly expressed. So let's let's all do a little convicting thinking here for just a second. Think about the last thing that you overflowed about, you're excited about. Um, Maybe even either way. I like baseball, so I was like bummed, oh, the Red Sox. And some of you might be, yeah, the Red Sox. But I was like, oh, the Red Sox beat the Rays. Um, That was a bummer for me. If it were the other way around, I probably would have said out loud that I was excited that it happened the other way. Um, So anyway, um, what is, when's the last time you verbally expressed praise, other than in a setting of worship, in normal life, Where you sort of rejoiced or thanked God for something, or looked at something and just said it out to no one, or in your heart to the Lord, when's the last time that stirred up in you? May the Lord give us more grace for more of that. So here's the idea everyone is commanded to rightly respond to God, giving Him glory by rejoicing in Him. And we might ask ourselves, is that fair? Can you command an emotion? Um, All right, class. Today, we're gonna go outside and pick things up and examine them and look at, some some of the kids are like, yeah, go outside, I hate this room. Others are like, I don't wanna go outside, I don't like science, can we get to math, whatever it was. Can we command, and and the teacher was to say, be happy about it. I don't think that would work very well. Can God do that? Is that fair? Let's look back at Genesis for a second. Notice what is repeated. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Mankind. After our likeness. That's sort of repetition of ideas. Dot, dot, dot. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When's the last time you thought about the image of God? Do you know where this statue is? Where? In Washington, D.C. Why is it there? It's the Lincoln Memorial. Good. And why is there a Lincoln Memorial? To remember somebody important so if it was just a big old rock sitting in the middle of dc maybe it would be impressive but it's made in an image of somebody for a reason so we're like wow the 16th president of the united states god helped him he was not a perfect man god helped him do some really cool stuff and we want to remember that You've probably heard this before, but God has 7 billion statues walking, talking, singing, doing so much more than this statue does. Singing, engaging, receiving suffering, passing out the fruit of the spirit and all sorts of other messy stuff because we're broken people. But we are made in his image to image him. That's why he designed us. Let us make man in mankind, in our image, in our likeness, to display us. And then he went and and captured a people for himself that they might image him again. Because they have his law and his word and his temple and his instructions. And he captured some and chose some and predestined some and gave them his spirit. That they might image him with new hearts but all people were designed to image him. That's what we were made for. Whether we think it's fair or not, it's right. It's our design. We were made to worship, image, display, rejoice in his splendor. It's the purpose for creation. Now, if you're honest with yourself and you're honest either on the side of I am a believer and I'm not rejoicing in the Lord always or I'm not a believer, I'm not trusting in God, I'm not I don't want this, I don't know what to do with this, this is a little weird Um, but he made me that way this is what God says, I'm understanding this is God's command something's not right well, this is God's design for every one of his creatures yet we suppress this truth you know Um, How many of us are consciously posting things on Instagram to image God? (gasps) Or are we like, check out my weekend! Or check out my new shoes! Or check me out! (laughs) Seriously. Um, They probably don't look like that. Or like (laughs) me. But anyway. um, We don't do this. We suppress this truth. But God, even while we are his enemies, died for us paying the penalty on the cross. And through faith, I really like this quote. I really like this book. If you want a copy of this book, I've got one for you in my office for free. But anyway, we're declared right with God not once we begin to get our act together. Okay, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to go worship God all the time. I don't know how I'm going to do work, but I'm going to be rejoicing always. It's so not when we get our act together, but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. God gives grace to the humble. When we humble ourselves and say, I need you, that's where he's like, boom, I'm all over that. And work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's working on the inside of you to rejoice in the Lord and the working out through you of rejoicing in the Lord. That is, I love the God who all things are from him, through him, and to him. That is how it happens. Rejoice in what? Rejoice in the Lord. That could be Any one of these in Paul's mind, maybe all of them, but it's rejoicing in who he is. We sang songs today about who he is and what he has done when we considered the cross. And that we are in him. This phrase, in the Lord, throughout Paul is like this union with Christ explosion. It's like everywhere in his letters, he's always talking about, you are in Christ. So what does it look like to rejoice in him? Well, Paul gives us a really good example. I'm studying, um, with the high school students, we're studying Ephesians, and there is a 202 word sentence. How many of you are grammarians? How many of you uh, have ever turned in a paper to anybody or anything like that before? How many of you write for work? Anybody? Okay. If you gave your boss a 202 word sentence, They probably will pass it back to you. If you gave that to a professor, they may have questions, but not with Paul. This dude likes to write, and this is his second longest sentence. He has a longer one than that. But anyway, um, this is, notice right away. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ... With every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Things you cannot even see there are heavenly places. There's another dimension that's outside of what we can perceive. We've been so blessed by God there. How? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. There's so much truth packed into there. Before time, he thought, he knew, he chose, so that we would be holy and blameless before him. This is the end of time a bride presented to their groom, holy and blameless, imaging him beautifully because of his purifying work while they were on earth, and then instantly like him when he returns. They're in Christ. They're inside his blood. They have his righteousness. They're secure. He says, just like he says to Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well placed, please. He says it of them. They have his righteousness. They own it. They're secure. And so many other wonderful things. In him, oh, there it is again. We have redemption through his blood. This is like a payment for freedom. The forgiveness of our trespasses. And by the way, it's an infinite debt and an infinite payment. Forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And it goes on still in the same sentence. In Him. Oh, there it is again. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. That's the down payment. Some of you have put down payments on houses or apartments or whatever, or some other big purchase. What purchase did God, or what did God give us as a down payment? Himself in the Spirit until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's an example. You can go into this book in the Psalms and other places in Paul and see what. how do I dig into this and understand what it means to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You need to know three different times he has this idea of always. Remember I told you this was a continuous command? Well, this is identical, begins and ends with identical continuous commands. And in case you missed it, in case you're reading this in English, always, always, three times. So that gets us a little bit to our second question. The first question from the Q&A is, is it commanded? Yes. The second question from our Q&A, well, what about when life is hard? Thieves that steal your joy. Um, We can make it hard on ourselves to worship, and we can struggle to worship when life is hard. So we're going to begin with the most explicit challenge to our worship in the book of Philippians, and then we'll move to some other ones um, that will maybe get closer to that question. Here's some thieves that steal our joy. The first one is self-righteousness. If we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord, and that we're righteous in him, it's like flipping it on its head to rejoice in our own righteousness, right? We know that in our head, but how slippery, how sneaky, how often are we our hearts broken into and our worship is stolen by self-righteousness. So Paul is like, well, you want to talk self-righteousness? Come on. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You want to talk about it? And he lists it. And after that, he says, all that gain that I had in the righteousness game, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. It was really helpful. We studied this book with our students last year. It was helpful for me to look at John Piper's look at the book. And he talked about the three different counted in this text. Um... I count it as lost. So one, at one point he's saying, and, and for believers, we come to the place where we realize we're not good people. In fact, in my own personal life, it was a youth worker when I was in 10th or 11th grade who asked me, Why are you going to heaven? And I answered, because I'm a good person. And she was like, what? <laughs> That's not what the Bible says. And Ephesians 2:8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. So at that point, I drove away from that conversation thinking something is not right. And I counted my what I was thinking was for me, was not for me. It wasn't helping me. So that's a one-time pass. Indeed, I count everything as lost. So that means you're just doing life and like, hey, can I help pick up the chairs? And then you're walking away and they're like, I'm so thankful that you pick up the chairs every week. And we're like, oh yeah, that's lost. Christ is righteousness. I have to keep pushing the refresh button on the website of this. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And it goes on. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Even when I look back and say, look at all that I could have had still gain, in order that I may gain Christ and be found, hey, in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I'm going to talk about some different subjects like self-righteousness. I'm not going to tell you everything about this or any other thing as we conclude this time. But one thing I think I would like you to notice, and that's been helpful for me, is to notice how connected these worship stealers are to fighting being in Christ and how much rejoicing and recognizing that we're in Christ and that he alone is our righteousness is the solution. So what lies of self-righteousness creep in to steal your joy? These, are, these creep up in our hearts all the time. Seeking praise for good deeds, thinking the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of me, and that's, those are just ideas. Is self righteousness stealing your joy in worship, your joy in Jesus? It was really helpful for me recently to understand the theme in Scripture that I hadn't seen before called pouring out your heart to the Lord, bringing Him my emotional brokenness, my struggles. Um, it's Something that I did earlier in my life when I was a new Christian, sort of had a pause and then came back to it. And it was so good to pour out my heart to the Lord and just kind of go, "Wow, here's all the things I'm thinking and feeling. And I know that it's a mixture of good and bad and probably a lot of bad. And to have the spirit come and shepherd me and show me, yeah, a lot of it is bad. And to come to the place where it's like, Jesus, you are my only hope. I can't undo all this. yuck. I need you. It makes the gospel sweeter when we fight self-righteousness. Opponents, enemies of the cross. So when life is hard, life is definitely hard when we feel like we have enemies. When we feel like we're fighting. When we feel like we're Up against some people that are coming at us, or they're out for us, whether it's explicitly enemies against believers or just simply opponents. I won't give you all the scriptures, but you can look at them here. But here's some of the challenges to worship that show up in those texts. He says, "Don't be afraid." So then, that means that fear is a real reality when we have opponents. We need to stand firm is what he calls them to. So that means we can like step back or like, whoa, we're going to let you pass. I'm going to just kind of hide over here in the corner. Buying into their lives. Because some of these enemies of the cross are advertising stuff, promoting stuff that goes against the cross. And we're like, oh, maybe that's good. Or desiring what they desire. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now that's probably not one of the verses that you'll see show up on Instagram or Pinterest or whatever, Um, but it's true. We are connected to Jesus Christ as believers, and he's given us the gift of belief and also the gift of suffering. So in the midst of suffering we can have a connection with him and say, God, help me trust you that this is your gift. Help me to see how you want me to suffer for your sake in this. And when he's talking specifically about enemies, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies To be like his glorious body. Pretty cool. Because we're connected to Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, those who trust in him have a future, a secure future that is out of this world and back in this world as he sets up the new world. By the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So if there's enemies who are promoting and going after desires and it looks tempting, remember, this world is passing away. That's how the Apostle John talks about it. The sun is already setting on this world, and pretty soon there will be no sun over the horizon. And Jesus will show up and subject all things to himself. This shows up a couple times in Philippians. Do you realize at the end of the awesome hymn in Philippians where it says, and every knee will bow before him? Some of those knees will be forced by the power who subjects all things to himself to kneel before him. He talks about the enemies of the cross that are glorying in their shame. They're they're rejoicing in what will one day be their shame. We don't want to do that. We want to glory in the thing that will be our forever Glory. That's why we should seek his grace to rejoice more than always. What lies about enemies or opponents are creeping in to steal your joy? They're against me. This is freaking me out. They're convincing everyone, and they're going to win. There could be a lot of other things that you could put there. Philippians 2, conflict. Raise your hand if you love conflict. <laughs> okay, I have a few. you. Okay, that's good. Some of us are designed to handle conflict. Um, If there's an over-exaggerated desire for conflict Let's talk afterwards Uh, Anyway, (laughs) conflict Conflict It's hard, it's stressful, it's draining, it's a struggle Some of us need to do conflict for our work, that's great I'm not talking about that Conflict There are people in the church who are so well known And they're so against each other And it's so conflicted Yodi and Syntyche or whatever that Paul in his letter says I entreat both of them to agree in the Lord. I entreat this person I entreat this person to agree in the Lord. Notice again it's in the Lord. But I'm, I'm entreating both of them there's no partiality. Both of them needs to move towards each other and figure this conflict out. And he also because they're connected with the body gives them help. He offers them help from the church to do that. And then a little bit later, this is a different kind of conflict. It could be somebody ripped you off, and you need to let your reasonableness be known to everyone, or it's somebody's after you, and they're thinking that you messed up, and you're like, whoa! And all of a sudden, your dander rises, uh, a little bit like my dog. We were, I, It was so weird. My dog was, we were walking the dog, and like, hair on his back and on his shoulders, is like, I don't like that other person over there. That happens to us inside when somebody comes after us. But this says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Remember, there's a Lord who's at the door. He's going to open it. It's going to be done. And anything that you felt like you needed to stick up for, he's got you covered. And he's also got all the stuff that You can't stick up for covered if you're in the Lord. Agree in the Lord, help because you're connected to the body of the Lord, and the Lord is at hand. What lies about conflicts are creeping into steel your joy, your rejoicing in Jesus? I could never be reconciled with them. Are they believers? Jesus Christ died to reconcile you with other believers. They hurt me, so it's their responsibility to come to me. I'm not going to them. Well, the scripture talks about both sides. If somebody has something against you, go to them, and vice versa. This is a mentality of our day and age people. Um, I'm the one who's experiencing this really bad thing, and it's up to them. Well, talk with another believer about that. Share the story with them. Get help can go with you. A couple more. These are all in the the context of it. I should be pointing to these verses, but I I mean the scriptures are up there, but these are all in the context right around verse four. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't you just rejoice when you're anxious? No. Nobody rejoices when you're anxious. We just want to stop being anxious. We rejoice. Okay, I'll rejoice when I'm not anxious anymore. Don't be anxious about anything. That is huge and broad, and we're we're very helped by humbling ourselves underneath the mighty hand of God in 1 Peter 5. But do not be anxious about anything. This is a thief that steals our joy. But in everything by prayer and supplication, do you remember, let me remind you, the reason that we can go to prayer is because we're in the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, by his authority, because I'm connected with him, with his authority, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We can go to God because we're in him. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, in Christ Jesus. The peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Lord cares for us. We can cast our anxieties on him. And we can rejoice that he gives us peace even when we struggle. Anxiety and all sorts of things. So what lies about anxiety are creeping into steal your joy. It's up to me, and I don't have the ability or resources. And that could be in all sorts of places. It could be at work with a to-do list that you just keep flipping pages. It could be in relationships, like I just don't have the ability to do this be in all sorts of different places. It's up to me. Remember, this is an atheistic thinking. Is it up to me? In some ways, your to-do list is not going to to-do itself. But if we're not factoring God into the equation, we become anxious and focus on ourselves. This might be the last one. Abundance or lack. How many of you think that abundance steals your joy? Woo, I won the lottery! I'm not joyful anymore! Although, how many people who won the lottery are joyful for a long time? They're joyful for a while, and then their friends are joyful that they're rich and they want their stuff. Anyway, it's, it's complicated. I haven't done it, so I can't give you any personal experience. But anyway, look at what Paul says. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Plenty and hunger, abundance and need. On both sides of the teeter-totter, we can lose our joy. So what is the secret? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And a little bit later, and God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I think we think, well, I need 50 more bucks for my rent, or I need a relationship because I'm lonely, I need a, I need a best friend because my best friend moved away, or whatever. Um, I think this guy thinks and was really helped by what he had to say. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will supply the grace for you to be content in whatever situation you're in. That's probably what he's aiming at. Because we don't always get. Sometimes we stay in lack. And sometimes we don't realize that we need help in abundance. When riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Our heart sets upon them. I'm going to read just a quick quote out of this book from page 96. And where does the contentment come from? Philippians 4.13 gives the answer. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God's provision of day-by-day day future grace, meaning what's coming around the corner, the new mercies that are coming around the corner from the Lord. I'm in this hard situation, but he's got me today. He's surprised, provided for me so far today, and he's got more grace to deal with what's coming around the corner, new mercies for tomorrow. Enables Paul to be filled or to be hungry, to prosper or to suffer, to have abundance or go wanting. I can do all things really means all things, not just easy things. All things means through Christ, I can hunger and suffer and be in want. This puts the stunning promise of verse 19 in its proper light. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What does the all your needs mean? In view of Philippians 4.14, it means all that you need for God glorifying you rejoicing in the Lord when you're in abundance and in want. So, one really quick story. Like I mentioned earlier, I like baseball. Um, Our youth group, several years ago, went to a baseball game, and it was a pretty beautiful night, and uh, it was one of those games that was tied, and we hit a home run at the end in the 10th inning. And so, you like baseball and your team wins and some of your friends were cheering for the other team it can also be an advantageous thing and they win and you get pretty excited and you're with back then pre-covid uh lots of fans who are also excited and cheering right next to you um prior to that we met as a youth team and we prayed god not to be over spiritual but just because the lord was leading our hearts here help us to be excited in you even more than the gifts that you're giving us. And I had this weird miracle happen in my heart, because I'm a guy that likes baseball, and a really cool baseball thing happened, that I was able to both rejoice in that and also be aware, because I'd humbled myself before the Lord in prayer as a team, um, as we looked at the word, and just said, I need your help with this. He gave me the gift of rejoicing in him even when there was, quote unquote, abundance which as Pastor Steven says doesn't happen very often for Minnesota sports fans, but anyway. Um, <laughs> I was able to rejoice in the midst of that abundance because God provided the grace for that, the contentment, the joy in him, the rejoicing in him. So what lies about abundance or lack of creeping in to steal your joy? How are we thinking any of these things? I will have joy when I get such and such. Or, I am happy now that I have it. Or, I feel my lack. I don't even know how I'm going to make it. And you could fill in all sorts of other things. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will, again, I will say rejoice. Those were just like skimming, some of the context. Like I said, this is an appetizer um, for you to say, hey, you know what, Lord? It's a privilege to be able to meet with you, and I want to talk with you further about this aspect Of my rejoicing. I think this thing might be stealing my ability to verbally exalt in you, or I'm verbally exalting in this thing or that thing or this person or that, whatever. Help me to rejoice in you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. So I'm just going to quickly pray for us. But before I do, I'm going to read this and just think where do I need the Lord to help me? work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. Aware that the God of the universe commands me to rejoice in him, not just like, hey, I go to Bethlehem, this is a great idea, we talk about joy a lot, but that the God of the universe calls me to rejoice in him, this is a serious thing, and that he also provides the ability for me to be forgiven when I don't. And I humbly realize that I need his help and that he'll work in me both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Father, thank you that your word is powerful, that you by your spirit use it and you're taking it in different ways to connect with our hearts. Um, Would you give us grace as we interact with one another? If there's question and answer, would you give us grace to ask and think talk about things that were unclear? Would you help us to rejoice more in you? Would you hallow your name in our eyes? Would you add fuel to the fire of who you are and what you've done and the privilege of being united to you? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Young Adult Ministry at Bethlehem Baptist Church. North Campus in Moundsview, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Adults.